he was bitten by a radioactive Senate parliamentarian, um, which made him loyal to the Jim Crow filibuster. <laughs> And welcome to the Bituate Room Podcast. Once again, back at it on a Sunday evening or whenever you happen to be listening to this episode in the future. You know, just hold on to the wheel tight. Don't drive off the cliff. You kind of want to. You're like, what if I just let go? Don't. Don't let go. That's wrong. There is reason to live. I mean, not a lot, but like enough. Um, I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini, always starting just on the most tasteless note, because guess what? It's my effing show, and I can do that. Um, it's so good to have y'all here. Uh, so good to be back. We did take a little week off, but uh, there was a bonus episode. Um, well, I'll talk about that in a little bit. We have such a good show today. We're talking about just the worst Democrats. Just the worst, the worst Democrats ever. We're also talking about Trump's FUPA. Because uh, I knew you probably weren't eating anyway. So uh, put down dinner and, uh, you know, let's get into it. Um, we're also going to talk about the revolving door between the White House and uh, high-level administrations and the corporate world. Why is there one? And how can we, you know, put a little doorstop in it? Uh, Max Moran with the Re Revolving Door Project is going to be with us. Uh, as well as a uh, producer, comedy producer, and her all-around amazing person, Anna Hosnia, is here. Um, so excited for this show. So you guys, if you're already here on Twitch, what's up? I hope you're following this stream. Uh, if you're here on YouTube, like the stream right now. Share it with all your peeps. You know, all the like eight people that follow like the weird yoga playlist that you've put together. You know, those, share it. Share it with them. And make sure to ring the bell when you're subscribed so you know every time we're going live. Um, like I said, we had a bonus episode uh, with comedian Jessica Seeley and organizer Joshua Con Russell. It was so good. We talked all about radical self-care. This is not just about buying crystals and hoping that that does it. No, this is about like actually holistically applying you know, our ideas of revolution to our own lives, you know, and changing the way we treat our own selves, um, getting out of the rat race, not treating ourselves like rats. You know what I'm saying? L those things. It was so good. It was so heartfelt. I spilled a lot of personal stories about my uh, struggles physically with my body, with my life, with with all the things. Um, so you can get that right now. Patreon.com slash Bituation Room. Uh, it is available for all patrons right now, and it will become available next week for everybody. But I strongly encourage you to support this show, support our little ragtag team of Fran Tifa here, putting together a show week after week, and hopefully getting us to that point where we can go twice a week, because that that would really be the goal, and that would be fun. And I would love to do that for you all. Uh, so yes, patreon.com slash room. Also, you can tip this show if you don't really want to get in on the Patreon, but I strongly encourage that. Uh, TBR-live on Venmo, TBR-live on Cash App. Thank you all so much. And finally, I've been teasing the merch. And patrons, I understand you might be angry. This is the like throwing tomatoes at the screen type moment of like, when's my merch coming? Well, so I want to make sure that it's good. I want to make sure that it is ethically sourced, uh, that I know 
you know, like all of the names of the people that, you know, screen printed it. I don't know if I'm going to get that far, but no, I'm making sure that we get like actually good stuff that won't just be trash. Um, and, and like, yeah, a little more thought than just your regular merchandise. Um, so stay tuned and thank you for being so patient. And with that, because we're talking about Patreon and all of the wonderful people that support this show, before we get into everything, you know what time it is. It's time for the fart song. Yes, 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 get it, get it, get it. Thank you so much to the patrons who've joined the Frantifa. Jeff F. is part of the Franny Pack, which means you can be part of the AMA every month, so send me your questions. Sage Johnny, you upped your pledge. You're so sweet. Thank you so much. Sam McKay, thank you for upping your pledge. Bree Spielman. That one's for you, girl. And I'm sorry I said your full name, but you're also wonderful. So thank you so much, uh, Charles P., for becoming a Franny Stan. Thank you. You get a shout-out with $10 or more. Ali A., join the Franny Pack. Thank you. Big Tippers, Michael A., Anna Marie, Karen K., Joseph L., Edgar C. is always coming through every week. You're so generous. Twitch subs, Thunderous Dragon gifted a sub. Brandy Lou gifted a sub. John 99 subscribe for a month. Emerald Vulcan subscribed for three months. Maricopa subscribed with Prime. And Celine DM subbed with Prime. That's right. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can subscribe on Twitch using your, you know, Bezos bucks or whatever the hell we're calling it. Uh, and that's tight. And we appreciate that. That means a lot. And uh, let's just get into this, guys. It's been a couple weeks. What are you bitching about now? Have you have you gone out? Have you seen people? We are you mad about shaking hands again? I did a lot of that. Oh, a lot. Yeah. Well, I'm not hugging. I mean, especially if I don't know you, I'm not going to hug you. I'm over that. That was last week. I hugged like a bar back last week. And he was like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I'm vaccinated." <laughs> no, but let's um let, let me let me share what I am bitching about, which is uh hang on. Oh, hang on now. Let me get all my ducks in a row. Uh, Bill Maher is once again proving how reactionary he is. Uh, the other day he had a whole rant, his new rules, um, in which he basically just dumped on the idea of college as some kind of liberal invention. But of course, because it's a comedy show in the heaviest air quotes I can possibly muster, um, he is trying to spin this as somehow a really unique take. But I think I want a new segment on this show, um, which is going to be called OK Boomar, um, in which I talk about why Bill Maher is an out-of-touch boomer who should not have that show. Uh, so here's what he had to say about college. A third of students now spend less than five hours a week studying. And when they do... It's for their onerous magnum cum bullshit course load of sports marketing, history through Twitter, <laughs> advanced racist spotting, intro to microaggressions, and you owe me an apology 101. <laughs> oh my God. Um, by the way, that was the last, there's a show, so at the end of that, there's a shot of his guests who is, Chris Matthews, uh, formerly of Hardball, Chris Matthews, who uh, is just like, again, like every guest on Mar is just kind of like uncomfortably laughing. Also, Chris Matthews, who lost his slot because he was like sort of serially sexually harassing some of the women who would come on his show. Anyway, the point is, is that so 
um, ha ha ha. College students, all they learn about in college is racism and how to hate the white man. That is a reactionary right-wing take, y'all. Like, there is nothing unique about that. That is just what every single Republican around the country, from state legislatures to the federal level, have been talking about for months now. Oh, critical race theory. This is wrong. We should banish it from all schooling, right? Like, that is what, that is their talking point. There's nothing unique about that. Oh, you're so fragile because you believe that, you know, the policing system is unjust, right? Like, it's the most, it's, again, super on brand Mar. And I just want to say, like, I, obviously, he goes into the critiques about college, right? It is overpriced. And he calls it a racket. I totally agree that there should not that college should not be a barrier to whether you are employed or employable or not. Obviously, we understand that even people with degrees are often struggling to find work. But it's not a it shouldn't be a referendum on college or higher learning. It's a referendum on why non like jobs that don't require a college degree should be better paid. You know what I'm saying? It's not like I understand that the healthcare system in this country is broken, right? It is also a racket, but I'm not going around going like, you know, cause like who needs to go to the doctor, you elitist snob? Oh, you're going to get that mole checked out? Oh, you've got cancer. You're going to detect it at an early stage. No, nobody's saying that obviously, but that's exactly what he's saying. He's throwing the entire baby out with the bathwater because again, he is out of touch and reaching and clawing for any kind of unique take that is mostly just reactionary. Once again, he's totally not a liberal. He's not a leftist. He's not, he's not like unique and indifferent and interesting. And by the way, Bill Maher went to Cornell, you guys, one of the most elite universities in the entire country. That's where he went. Do you think that people who work on his show, do you think his writers, do you think his producers could get where they've gotten without a college degree? Is he hiring people who just submitted a packet, you know, and like, no, they didn't go to Harvard and they didn't write for whatever satire newspaper. No, no. He, he has the same dumb barriers to entry, right? So once again, just like, do we need to really go into Mar? But I, 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 this feels close to home for me because I am someone who believes in free college tuition, right? He goes on to dunk on that. Oh, free college tuition. You don't need that. That's some lib shit. What? Let me just remind y'all. And I've said this before in Newsbrook videos about anti-intellectualism, authoritarians and fascists love anti-intellectualism. They don't want you to go get a college degree. They don't want you to think critically about anything. They want you to take like two months of civics and engagement in high school, most of which you were high through, and then send you out into the world so you can work at an Amazon packaging warehouse. That's it. That's it. Uh, not saying that that Amazon packaging warehouse job is not a, a, an okay job to have, but they should fucking pay people more for it. Um, so anyway, supple minds are what authoritarians love. And Bill Maher is essentially jumping on that dumbass bandwagon, like he always does, all the fucking time. I'm so I'm so done with him. Ew.
Anyway, that's been OK Boomer. And with that, I'm going to bring in my guest for the rest of the hour. She is an Iranian-American live comedy video and podcast writer and producer who has worked with online platforms such as Nerdist, Cracked, CISO, Earwolf, and more. She's currently the executive producer at iHeartRadio Network, and she co-hosts the podcast Ethnically Ambiguous, which I was on. It's so good. It's so fun. And you can find her every Tuesday night on Twitch for her stream, Deckheads, Chief Stews with Molly Lambert. Please welcome Hi. Anna Hosnier. Hi. How are you? I'm I'm okay. I'm like, why did I just get my heart rate up talking about an out of touch asshole comic that nobody cares about? I mean, um, that's what Bill Maher does. Yeah. He's just like pure annoyance uh, built into a human, I don't know, trash can? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He's not yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. No, he's bad. And I and again, I know I do this to my guests, but the worst part is had the guests having to sit around pretending to laugh at his jokes that are bad. And like he's got a writing staff. I take full responsibility for my bad jokes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know someone on his writing staff and I think they're brilliant. And I just I'm like always surprised. I mean, I understand, you know, sometimes you got to take a job, you know, you got to survive. But then it's like you're too good for this. Oh, no, I his writers are the only thing that, like, keep him alive. You know, what I mean, like mm -hmm. he's clearly and he reads everything like he's just read it for the first time. And then he laughs at it. And it's like, yeah, buddy, because your writers are actually kind of good. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you're just bad. Your takes that you're requiring them to write are bad. But like, they're they're talented. Um, yeah. Any hoodle. Anna, what, what are you bitching about, girl? I mean, I feel like I've been bitching about this for the last, I don't know how long have I been alive, but consciously, think, critically thinking, <laughs> I would say about, how old am I? 31. About 19 years, maybe, uh, okay. which is the fact that Palestine is under occupation of Israel still and uh, free Palestine no longer trending. It's unfortunate. It's truly, it's actually, can I swear on this? Yeah. It's fucking bullshit. Okay. <laughs> I'm so, you know, for one second, I get it. We're one of those societies where news moves so quickly. So we hop on something and we're like, oh my God, can you believe this? And then we're like, can you believe this other thing within a week later? But guess what? Palestine, still occupied by Israel, will continue to be occupied by Israel unless we do something and figure out what's up with these politicians who continue to stand by Israel, which I don't yeah. understand. Do these people not read? I mean, I mean, they do, but you know, clearly they choose to uh, side with the uh, Israeli government. But it's it's really fucked up, and I'm tired of constantly being reminded that like Middle Easterners, people from the Swano region, just matter less. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and and even though I think there was definitely progress this this war around. Mm -hmm. um, it is very sad to see how quickly it falls from headlines. I think one thing that grabbed me this week, and I was going to bitch about it, but then I forgot about it until you mentioned Palestine. I was like, oh, yeah. Did you know that the Republicans may pass a capital security bill uh, to, like, protect the capital, you know, and, and like, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, whatever from, you know, the insurrectionists that they helped to uh, radicalize mm -hmm. and include additional funding for Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system within that bill. Now, that Iron Dome needs more funding. Based on what I've seen, it can block 90% of missiles shot towards them. What about that other 10%? We need billions, billions for that other 10%. 
like we need an iron dome though also in the u.s to just like block QAnon moms from you know storming the capital and like boat dads and shit like what where's our iron dome against the crazies but anyway that's again like it, it back to normalization of you know our support for israeli occupation um that is so common when it comes to American legislation is just mm -hmm. you sneak in all of these little line items. Oh yeah, it was $10 million more to Israel. It's like, do they need any more? Do they? Yeah. And why is it under in this? <laughs> why is it in like the American families plan? It's not, it's in a different bill, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. It's on it. I, it's, I know I shouldn't be shocked. I lived through nine 11. I lived through the Iraq war. I, you know, I've been alive, you know, for the last 31 years. I've seen how it goes down. And it still shocks me to this day how we, it's impossible to get anyone to care about Palestinians. You know, yeah. yes, we as the younger generation are now fully radicalized and aware of what's going on and can understand like an occupation and an apartheid. But mm -hmm. like, it's still not enough, you know, especially when, you know, the legislation doesn't care. The government yeah. doesn't care older folk are like mm, i don't know i think of i think it's hamas and you're like mm -hmm. oh my god so it's grinds my gears if you will forever agreed and uh i hope the squad actually can put can can put something together here and at least block more money more some kind of weapons i don't know make good on all that and i think we've got to keep on pressuring them to do so but yeah that's a good thing to bituate on um or bitch about whichever whichever verb you prefer we got to get into this though we're getting into the week i forgot to do like a roundup of everything that happened and the only two things that i wrote that happened were um a, I think a boat, speaking of Palestine, um, a shipment, I believe of, I don't know what kind of shipment, but out of Oakland, the port of Oakland was shut down by the ILWU, which is the Longshoremen's Union there, um, in protest and in solidarity with Palestine. So that's dope as hell. Shout out to them and everyone who like woke up at 5 a.m. to go block that boat. Mm -hmm. um, th that's amazing. So I got that and I got... Prince Harry and Meghan Markle just had a daughter named Lilibet. And that's the only thing, oh. other two things that I think happened other than all these stories. Because this is The Week Where. Okay. Oh. This was, I like the name Lilibet, by the way. I, I didn't realize they had their baby, but yeah, Lilibet's the nice name. It's the, it's the name of their great grandma, of the queen. I think she's the queen. Wait, what? Really? Yeah, it's a nickname of Elizabeth. Is Lilibet? Do you watch Lilibet. the Crown? Uh, no, but um, ever since that Oprah interview, I was like, I should get into this. This feels messy. Ooh, oh, it's messy as fuck, dude, <laughs> and it's so good. Okay, all right. This was the week where we learned once and for all that vote blue no matter who is just a senseless phrase that rhymes kind of like hickory dickory dock joe manchin is a cock uh because of course democrats in the senate are the ones who despite having the majority are holding back progress this week after months of dancing around the issue of reforming the filibuster dancing around the stalled infrastructure package dancing around the voting rights bill joe manchin finally came out of the closet it is pride um with an op-ed that just says, nope, he doesn't believe in 
the For the People Act to enshrine voting rights. Um, what does the Halloween mask version of Sean Hannity's reason being for not wanting to pass that bill that would greatly improve access to the ballot box, increase election security, reform campaign finance, and stop partisan gerrymandering? Um, according to him, it's too partisan. Mm. He writes... Democrats in Congress have proposed a sweeping election reform bill called the For the People Act. This more than 800-page bill has garnered zero Republican support. Why? Are the very Republican senators who voted to impeach Trump because of actions that led to an attack on our democracy unwilling to support actions to strengthen our democracy? Yes. Are these same senators who in many in my party applauded for their courage now now I'm re, re I'm reading this wrong. Now th- was this a miss? Now threats to the very democracy we seek to protect. The truth, yes. The truth I would argue is that voting and election reform that is done in a partisan manner will all but ensure partisan divisions continue to deepen. Hmm. What? I think we really like got to stop politicizing voting. Isn't that what he said at one point? We got to stop politicizing voting. We got to stop politicizing <laughs> like we, we this is this is exactly it. It is this abusive relationship with Republicans that are like it, it's just like, well, if I like you're already in the whole it is an abusive relationship. You're like, just get out of this abusive relationship. You're like, well, if I leave, then I will get hit again. It's like, no, no, that's not how it's going to work. Sorry, I don't mean to like give this like domestic abuse situation, but that's how it feels. Um, what is already happening currently in this country is incredibly partisan. Has Manchin not taken a look around and seeing, seen all the partisan ways that Republicans are trying to roll back voting rights, restrict early voting, restrict mail-in voting, uh, restrict the number of ballot boxes in communities of color, stop voting on Sunday mornings after church explicitly in counties in Texas where they know African-American who get out of church are going to go vote. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Like what? So anyway, but so he's asking these like rhetorical questions that he knows the answers to. And then he continues. And here we go. Here's the rub. I believe the partisan voting legislation will destroy the already weakened binds of our democracy. And for that reason, I will vote against the For the People Act. Furthermore, I will not vote to weaken or eliminate the filibuster. For as long as I have the privilege of being a U.S. senator, I will fight to represent the people of West Virginia to seek bipartisan compromise, no matter how difficult, and to develop the political bonds that end divisions and help unite the country we love. I feel like he doesn't get, like, I mean, I'm sure he actually does get it, but chooses not to acknowledge it. Um, we're there's no, you can't bring us together. This country's law, like, no, you can't bring us together. Like one side doesn't believe people of color um, deserve anything, uh, or anyone who hasn't, you know, pulled themselves up by their bootstrap to mm-hmm. uh, make themselves a billionaire. Um, and then the other side, I mean, I mean, they're not necessarily doing their best but they have like some semblance of pretending they are. So it's like, I, I, I don't know what, what do you think this is? Joe Manchin. Yeah. Have you just look, take a look around, buddy. You see the, the shards of glass on the ground from when there was a insurrection in the Capitol. Yeah. Notice how nobody wants to be a Capitol police officer. Yeah. That, yeah. that is, that's where we are. I don't think the f- getting rid of the filibuster is going to 
divide us anymore. In fact, it'll actually get stuff done. But of course, Manchin hates the For the People Act. He prefers the For the Donors Act, which is just the act that he's been pulling off for the last few months. Um, the most ridiculous part of this, uh, Anna, I don't know if you saw, is that in the same op-ed, he's like, well, we can pass the John Lewis Voting Rights yeah. Act. And then, but but like the For the People Act is bad. Okay, the only difference, in fact, they're actually different pieces of legislation. The John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Advancement Act basically restores the Voting Rights Act, which was gutted by the Supreme Court in 2013 and allowed like all the states that are now rolling back voting rights. It allowed them to do that without before they had to like, you know, get that checked over by a judge because mm -hmm. they've got a history of racist, you know, systemic preventing people from voting. So like he, they are two different things. Do you think that Republicans would be on board to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act? Half of them no. are like, which one was John Lewis? Yeah, half of them are, yeah, exactly, posting the wrong photo and like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, my colleague John Lewis. Obviously, we're talking about the, the late congressman John Lewis. But like, it is, I love, he's always like throwing another bone. Like, well, look, we can pass this bill, but we can't pass the For the People bill. No. He knows you can't pass either of them, not with these Republicans who've already politicized voting because they don't want people to vote. They've been doing it time immemorial, right, since the founding of this country. Um, switching things up a little bit, the filibuster, more on this filibuster, which we all know, arcane rule requires 60 votes to do anything in the Senate. Um, this week, Kirsten Cinema, Arizona senator, and answer to the question, what if your politics also got menopause? Uh, <laughs> Explain why she's, she too, she's against reforming the filibuster. Listen to though how she frames this. To those who say we must make a choice between the filibuster and X, I say this is a false choice. The reality is, is that when you have a system that's not working effectively, and I would think that most would agree that the Senate's not a particularly well-oiled machine, right? The way to fix that is to change your behavior, not to eliminate the rules or change the rules, but to change your behavior. Okay, so uh, change your behavior, she says, don't change the rules. If something, if a system isn't working, you just have to change. Um, I said Does this on the day. the Senate <laughs> is? Yeah. yeah, Does she She knows exactly where she works. She said in this, this same uh, appearance that she understands that the Senate isn't very functional, but then we just have to change our behavior to make it functional. Well, it's not functional because of the filibuster. I said this on the Daily Zeitgeist. It bears repeating. What she's saying is the equivalent of saying, look, if you think the criminal justice system is biased and unfairly targets black people, don't change it. Just change your skin color. Okay? Yeah. Simple. Change your behavior. You're mm -hmm. acting like the criminal. Like, this is the world. <laughs> okay, so then she gets asked by someone in the uh, press person in the audience, basically like, okay, but do you understand the Jim Crow legacy of the filibuster? And here's her not hearing that at all. The filibuster was not created as a tool to accomplish one thing or another. It was created as a tool to bring together members of different parties to find compromise and coalition. <laughs> just, just a little bit of a fact check. First of all, she completely didn't hear him. I know it was hard to hear for us, but he said, look, don't you know that the like Jim Crow, the filibuster has roots in Jim Crow? And she's just like, nope, mm -mm, I'm not. It's 
And then she goes on to talk about the founding fathers. Well, the founding fathers actually didn't have the filibuster in mind to do this, yeah. right? They It was like a minimal little like parliamentarian step that was like, maybe it'll be easier if we just, you know, end debate on it with like, you know, with 60 votes instead of a yeah. simple majority. And then I, it got bastardized. Well, yeah, I also read a while back when I was really trying to, I, I've always known what a filibuster was. It's like, you just talk, 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 talk to just like destroy any legislation you're trying to pass. But like, I was always like, why would you, who even thought of such a thing? Turns out they didn't, it, it like happened by accident. They just like forgot to like come up with something to be like, okay, and this is how we end. Yeah, they forgot to put like, you know, when you create a calendar event and then you forgot to forget to put an end date mm -hmm. and you're like, it goes what? on forever. Yeah. You're like, I haven't, I haven't done that show in years or whatever. That's yeah. what it is. Or like, I have, uh, that's not my, well, I don't, whatever you have in your goddamn calendar. Uh, that's what it's like. They didn't put an end date to the filibuster, but I want to read two things. One is from Vox, just in case there was any questions about what the origin of the filibuster is. Uh, two political scientists, Sarah Binder and Stephen Smith, identified every bill between 1917 and 1994 that they believe failed purely because of the filibuster. Among them, half were civil rights bills, including anti-lynching bills proposed in 1922 and 1935. And actually, only a few years ago, I believe um, Rand Paul voted against an anti-lynching bill and you and filibustered it because some bullshit about it being used in the wrong way you know because sometimes lynching is good what <laughs> like this is it eventually passed what? okay th this is from the washington post foremost among filibustering senators in the 19th century were the pro-slavery faction led by john c calhoun of south carolina who exploited the senate's lax rules of debate to block measures that threaten southern white landowners ability to depend on slave labor so it is absolutely been used to uphold jim crow to uphold yeah. uh, segregation and second-class citizenship um i fucking hate the senate anna i just <laughs> oh really those I don't are, like I don't like the Senate, but they're doing such great work and truly saying things that make no sense, like Kristen Cinema. Because I don't know, I, what do you think her deal is? Do you think she's aware of what she's saying, or she just doesn't give a fuck? I mean, I think it's very much gloves off this week with both of those things. With Mansion coming out with the op-ed that's basically like, "No, I'm going to be beholden to Republicans," yeah. and Kirsten Cinema saying. No, there's no way we're reforming the filibuster. They're like, they've decided a long time ago they're going to work for their donors. Yeah. And whoever those, like, whether it's the fossil fuel industry, um, whether it's, fuck, I mean, Amazon is huge in Arizona. You, I don't even want to know. Like, the opensecrets.org shit that there must, there's going to be about the amount of money that Cinema's campaign got from Bezos. Ugh. Which, by the way, subscribe on Twitch, dude. Divert those Bezos bucks <laughs> yeah. to us and to Anna every Tuesday. <laughs> Love Bezos bucks, guys. Come on, guys. I'm really trying to pull myself up in my bootstraps and become a billionaire off Twitch. So just hit me up. <laughs> uh, I want to go to another story that's a little still upsetting, but in a much more visceral way. Uh, this was the week where the obese gerbil buried in the pet cemetery came back to life, and it's not quite the same. Uh, that's right, Don Trump. That is Donald Trump. Burst back onto the political scene since handily losing his reelection in November and leaving office with an insurrection. He spoke this weekend at a North Carolina Republican state 
party convention and played all the hits, but like a bit slower, just kind of like, you know, like far less, like an AM FM radio, like slowly losing batteries, you know, just like, is it the scene in space odyssey? I think it's space odyssey where there's like a little, like you guys tell me in the chat, there's like a little radio and it's like days. No, that's when Hal dies. What's, Anyway, the point is, is he just wasn't very high energy. And to give you a sense of how low energy he was, even Fox News didn't air his speech, which is, that's like, that's like you look up from your play and like your mom's not there with the iPad filming you like she always is, even though, like, you know, she saw this play like a bazillion times and you're just like. Like she's not there. Nobody's there. Fox News wasn't there. I that, where was Don Jr. with the cocaine? I know that would have upped the ratings. But Anna, I'm curious. Does that mean anything to you that like even Fox didn't cover this? CNN didn't cover it. Fox didn't cover it. Do you feel like he might be less relevant moving forward, even though they all say that he's the leader of the party? Uh. Kind of, yes. But at the same time, I don't trust anything that family does now that they're on Cameo. Like, everything they do <laughs> is, like, this weird slight where you're, you just kind of have to keep one eye on them because you're like, what the hell are they doing now? Because, like, I I, I really want them all to be taken down because of all the, like, fraud and just criminal activity they've, you know, been up to for the last uh, 100 years or however long that family's mm-hmm. existed. Mm-hmm. But then things like this, like his blog, his weird you know north carolina talk whatever like we know i i had to look it up and i was like oh yeah. oh okay but like i'm hoping everything in my heart hopes that he's falling out of re- relevance but um then there's people in senate who do and say wild things that i'm like thank you for creating literally like paving a path yourself for the Republicans to slowly just like, and not even slowly, just like sneak right back in and lift this, you know, idiot back to relevance. Totally. I, I mean, they will, yes, they will absolutely weekend at Bernie's Trump mm-hmm. once again if they have to and like move his mouth through his butt, uh, like, <laughs> you know, or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. They will do that or they'll just like play another speech layered on top of that, that like him moving mm-hmm. his mouth because it's literally the same thing. But, yeah, it feels a little significant that they didn't cover it. I bet you it's also because we're a few years out from a reelection. Mm-hmm. And even though he says he's going to be reinstated in August as per the prophecy of Q. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be. And I think Fox News knows he's not going to be. But you bet your ass they will cover his speeches in a couple of years, you know, oh, yeah. or in a year and a half. Yeah. Um, of course, the entire comeback was upstaged perhaps by Donald Trump himself um, and specifically his pants. That's right, guys. Uh, it appears that the former president either put on his pants backwards wears diapers or just has a massive fupa or maybe all three um take a look at this and please put down whatever you might be eating right now yeah thank you (laughs) wow mr president thank you so much you know and and go back to 2016 
I was in a 17-way race and won this, won that primary and got here. I was a business guy. Okay. So for those of you listening as a podcast, um, the front of his pants is bulgy. But that's not the most remarkable part. It's smooth, almost mm -hmm. like a butt. Almost there is no fly on the pants. There's no zipper. Yeah. It's just a bulgy front. It reminds me of um, of Spaceballs and President Scroob. I'm going to just put up an image here. If you don't <laughs> remember when Mel Brooks got his ass on backwards, um, what was my line from this? Um, I'm just glad that Trump's body finally matches his politics, which are ass backwards. Wow. I, I ruined that punchline, but you got it. <laughs> yeah. um, that was okay. Now, for those of you who are part of the Dragon Squad, which is John Idarola's show, The Damage Report, you know that I'm big on showing Trump showing us the undies um, because I think he can be baited into doing anything. So if we keep on saying that he wears diapers, Anna, my theory is at some point he will have to show us his big boy pants on national television and then. And then I don't know, his career will be over. I feel like it might be bolstered. It it looks <laughs> like he's wearing, um, like you know, pants that have the uh, the elastic stretch top because he can't actually like button them up. You know. Yes. Because it they you know what am I? I don't even know what I'm looking at. Really, it doesn't make sense. It it might be an look. Here's the thing: is that a lot of people, uh. Look, the, the quarantine was hard. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, if you, you know, coming out of it and wearing jeans again, I get it. Mm -mm. Sometimes you just have to be elastic, but like, close button your goddamn jacket if you're going to do that. Yeah. Uh, uh, very. There's a chance it can't button, though. It was very unsettling. <laughs> um, I did want to just mention that um, we also learned this week that in the waning days of the Trump administration, um, there was even more pressure on the acting attorney general to make some uh, make up some crazy investigation into Dominion voting systems. Um, this was from according to the New York Times um, that the uh, the um, the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, basically put the squeeze on acting attorney general. Um, what's this guy's name? I haven't Rosen? written it down. Rosen? Yes, Rosen. Thank you. Robert's Attorney Rosen. General Rosen, who came in for Bill Barr, right? It was like Bill Barr was perfectly willing to do that, but until he wasn't, until he was like, nah, I gotta go. Just, you know, Barney rubbled out of there. Yeah. And so now, so, and one of the conspiracy theories that, that Mark Meadows wanted uh, Rosen to look into was the idea that this is real, that potentially people in Italy had used military technology and satellites to remotely tamper with voting machines in the United States and switch votes to Biden. Yeah. You know what? That actually makes sense because Italy notoriously has always had it out for us. Yeah. And not, you know, other countries like Russia or Iran or, you know, like countries that make sense. No, pull out Italy of all places. Totally. It's, 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 I think it's because Biden is Catholic. They're Catholic. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you know, there's something going on. And they use probably like the Rothschild space lasers, <laughs> i.e., Marjorie Taylor Greene. So the Jewish yeah. space lasers, they, you know, interrupted and remotely. Cause you know how satellites connect to voting machines? Yeah. That's a known fact. 
Yeah. <laughs> I've known that my whole like, life. Obviously, that was part of the one month of civics uh, <laughs> and engagement that I got in, yeah. in high school before I didn't go to an elite university because fuck that mm. noise. Um, this is amazing. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens to our good friend. Uh, I think it'll work. I what will work the backwards pants or the uh, no I think the Italy theory clearly has legs uh, it's also wearing backwards pants and they are gonna <laughs> run with it and you know what Godspeed to you guys hoping for the best Mark Meadows weirdo <laughs> as an Italian I'd like to see you try come at us <laughs> oh, and yeah, our wait. food is this a conflict yeah, of interest to have you speaking hey. about this e questo è un conflitto di interesse <laughs> e tutti stiamo uh, adesso we have to move on I can't speak in uh, Italian for that long I can only speak in Spanish we gotta move on we're gonna skip our last story maybe I'll do it as a bonus at some point during the week but we're gonna get into uh, all things um, all things that have to do with the revolving door between um, the, the politics world I can speak uh, like administrations, people in, in uh, upper echelons of 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 like, you know, the commerce chamber of commerce and shit like that. Once again, I can speak um, and the corporate world, corporate lawyers, um, corporate lobbyists, all that good stuff uh, with my next guest who is a research director of the personnel team at the Revolving Door Project housed at the Center for Economic and Policy Research. Seeper, which is great. He His work focuses on how corporate America seeks to influence the Biden administration when it comes to the executive branch personnel overseeing financial regulation, antitrust enforcement, and other key policy issues. His writing has appeared in The New Republic, The Intercept, and The American Prospect, among other outlets. Please welcome Max Moran. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my God, Max. So happy that you're here to save us from Trump's FUPA. Um, anything to change the subject, anything. Just, oh God, so gross. I um, did appreciate the Spaceballs reference. That was very fun. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. So good. Uh, okay, so Max, tell tell us briefly, like, what the Revolving Door Project is and why you guys formed. Sure. Um, so the Revolving Door Project uh, is a group that basically tries to explain to progressives, to the media, to anyone who's listening, frankly, uh, how exactly the executive branch of the government works. There's a lot of great people who do a lot of work in advocacy around the legislative branch. Some folks do work on the judiciary. Uh, we notice that there's basically this major absence for progressives trying to understand how the actual bureaucracy works, how things like you know different cabinet departments and the FTC, the SEC, and so on work. Uh, and more specifically, how they often get corrupted or co-opted by the corporate interests that they're supposed to be regulating, supposed to be overseeing and like, you know, putting white collar criminals behind bars. Um, mm -hmm. So we try to uh, first and foremost explain how those processes work and then especially to highlight how important it is uh, to appoint people to lead those departments because things often flow from the person at the top. Uh, who are independent, uh, who are committed to the public interest, uh, and who actually believe in uh, this agency actually doing its job instead of uh, basically just being someone who is trying to uh, extract, to handouts, extract giveaways and lessen regulations and so on before they revolve back out uh, into their next job. So that's a little bit about uh, RDP and what we do. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I even just explaining it as, you in, as I introduced you, I was like, stumbling because you're really kind of a watchdog over 
the executive branch and all of these appointments and nominations. And obviously we know that like Trump's nominations were just bonkers. It was like mm -hmm. the people who wanted to destroy the EPA get to be head of the EPA, <laughs> you know, like that, like literally clubbing a baby seal. Then you get to, you know, like look out for the Arctic wildlife refuge or whatever the hell, you know, like, so tell me about the current administration. Like how does the Biden administration fare when it comes to cabinet members who have corporate ties, who were like former corporate lawyers? What what grade would you give Biden? And maybe tell us about some of these folks who are in office now. Sure. Um, so on the subject of grades, so uh, around the 100 day mark, which is uh, a couple of months ago at this point, um, we put out basically a report card for how we felt the Biden administration was doing uh, in terms of reducing or minimizing influence from a bunch of different key industries, big oil, big tech, uh, Wall Street, and so on. Um, our basic conclusion is that uh, Biden is essentially look, Biden is basically the best president of our lifetimes on this thing, but that's because every other president of our lifetimes has been like so frankly horrible on these types <laughs> of issues. Uh, every, There's no more corporate lawyers left to exactly. hire. Exactly. Like, you know, the <laughs> bar it. is the floor. So Biden is like, you know, walking up right. He's not crawling, basically. <laughs> um, we gave him overall a B minus, essentially, on, on these oh. issues. Um, we think that... Oh. Uh, he is basically making a very good faith effort to try to actually uh, bring in public interest voices, bring in progressives, bring in uh, people who are going to uh, have a different perspective than this sort of neoliberal corporate technocracy consensus that we've all lived under for our whole lives. Those progressives and so on are a seat at the table. They are not controlling the space. They, like, you know, uh, are often up against or have um, as advisors or people in other roles, uh, folks who are sort of those classic revolving door types of figures, uh, mm -hmm. in part because uh, some of these are some of those some of those advisors and so on are people who clearly were setting themselves up to be like, you know, the next labor secretary who's going to bust unions or the next uh, treasury secretary who's going to give a lot of hand handouts to Wall Street and so on. Um, the politics of this have very clearly shifted. And I also think that Biden, in good faith, wants to see himself as the sort of mediator of all these different factions within the Democratic Party. Um, mm. So Biden is doing better than expected. He isn't doing great. I wouldn't say that he's especially meeting what I think at the moment demands, but he uh, is willing to talk. He is willing to sort of be in a room. And that is vastly more than he can say about any of his predecessors in a very long time. Yeah. Are there any people who um, that you like I was just looking at some of the what Revolving Door Project has like on on Instagram, like talking about Lisa Monaco, who's deputy AG and like Jonathan Sue, who represented like a Trump supporting child molester, George Nader, if people remember mm -hmm. that. And it's interesting because they're like, that's that's a woman and like a man of color, which is cool. But also, can they not be? corporate lawyers who also represent evil people like we need backgrounds that are broader than just that um so yeah i don't know are there people who your like revolving door project has been like this person needs to go because they're like they're yeah. gonna drag us down yeah um so I, I i love how you articulated that just there as far as like you know you bring in um a horrible corporate lawyer who has like you know 
uh, helps big oil to silence people, but they happen to be a woman of color. Uh, or you bring in like, you know, the whole sort of like, you know, co-opting of a diversity narrative, which is legitimately important, but without just discussing diversity of background, diversity of viewpoints, diversity of, of ideology and so on. Um, just purely having like, you know, people of different bodies. Um, as far as uh, people who uh, we're especially focused on as being really bad news, uh, the top answer has to be Merrick Garland. Um, mm -hmm. It's So it's really difficult to overstate just how important the Justice Department is because the Justice Department basically litigates on behalf of every other part of the federal government, right? Um, so essentially, if the bad guys control justice, they have this incredible choke point around everything else that the government could do, which would actually be good. Um, Garland himself, uh, I don't think is like, you know, uh, a corrupt hack who wakes up every morning wanting to, uh, like, you know, think of the next way to undermine everything. What Garland is, is, is a traditionalist. Garland is mm. someone who, uh, like, you know, believes very strongly in the DOJ as the DOJ and sort of its traditions and its beliefs and its proud history and so on. And so he sees his job as essentially to just carry on the tradition and keep things going exactly as they were. The problem is he's coming in after we had a fascist in office. Uh, and also, <laughs> right. it's not right. as if even before that, the DOJ uh, was always doing everything that it could to, I don't know, not incarcerate black people uh, or not incarcerate poor people for being poor. Um, there, we're in a moment that like especially demands real change and a real willingness to rethink uh, and fight for all the powers that really do exist within the law in order to make things better. People just haven't used them. Um, uh, and moreover, that's like, you know, coming on the heels of this rising far-right extremism. Uh, yeah. And Garland is deeply committed to not act in that way, is deeply committed to do everything it can to not do that. Uh, and again, the Justice Department is so, so crucial to every other part of the government. So he is the figure who we're most concerned about right now. Wow. That's a, I did not yeah. know that. No, and yeah, and 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 you kind of like he's such a sleeper, like Merrick Garland, because, and yet he Merrick Garland is such a good emblem of why middle of the road, mealy mouthed politicians and like um, officials uh, are useless at this point and this stage in our democracy. Because Merrick Garland was Obama's centrist pick for the mm -hmm. Supreme Court. That right. even him, the, as you're saying, the traditionalist was completely blocked by a like runaway you know like a right-wing movement that is the republican party um and it was merrick garland as if yep. and so he's been sort of built up i think in the mind of liberals and, and democrats and even progressives as like mm -hmm. well he must be actually really good it's like no yeah. he's He's not. <laughs> yeah, he's he's professionally bland. You know, he, yeah. his his greatest strength is that he doesn't draw attention to himself, which is exactly the opposite of what you need right now. Um, the point about how he was Obama's, like you know, uh, nice, quiet, middle of the road centrist pick. We thought that he'd get on the Supreme Court, and then McConnell didn't even give him a, a hearing. Is a really great example because, like you know, that's really a, an example of the problems that he's bringing to the Justice Department, which is that it's this uh, obsession of with process. It's this obsession with uh, doing things as they're supposed to be done. And as soon as someone, in this case McConnell, does something which is like technically not illegal, but is obviously not in the spirit of how things are supposed to do, then you just have no answer because it's like, well, you can't break the rules right back, the, the rules in big air quotes. It's like, well, no, absolutely. You should be rethinking things. You should be stretching the limits. You should be pushing to do everything that you can. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's just not how Garland sees things. That's just not how Gar that's just not in Garland's way of conceiving what the law is. 
Wow. He's like, just change your behavior. <laughs> Precisely. Exactly. <laughs> if um, I could do it, you can too. Susan Bradley Scove on YouTube brings up a good point, which is potentially Garland being good at going after white supremacists. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that or, or are more up on, I mean, we understand that the January 6th commission was voted down by Republicans, but will the justice department actually go after those who not only were part of the insurrection, but helped aid and abet it? I have my serious doubts. Uh, hmm. I think that, um, you know, Garland, uh, like, you know, prosecuted cases around the Oklahoma City bombing and so on. And and he's made very clear in his hearings and so on that uh, he thinks that white supremacy is a serious problem. I don't think that he sort of conceptualizes how deep the roots of white supremacy uh, go into the federal governments go into like, you know, all layers of the different hierarchies we live in, in society. Law enforcement, military. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, you know, really emblematic example. Uh, I think it was just this last week. Um, his justice department was pushing uh, a judge to um, drop a case, a lawsuit uh, against Donald Trump and Bill Barr uh, over when they tear gassed protesters at the Black Lives Matter uh, protests last year, uh, essentially because he was saying it would set a terrible precedent to be uh, holding a president to legal account uh, for something that he did in order to make the space safe for himself, even though he was tear gassing peaceful protesters in order to take a photo with a Bible upside down. Um, and uh, you know, so again, it's Ugh. like, you know, he thinks that like, you know, he, he probably thinks like, you know, white supremacy is a bad concept. I'm sure he is not a KKK member or anything like that. Sure. He's not really willing to look <laughs> at the depth of the problem. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I wanted to also ask you like, what are those, what do you, okay. So you gave Biden a B minus when it came to sort of hiring only corporate lawyers, right? That there was, it was a little bit better. What do you feel like the biggest industries are um, right now that have the biggest sway in government and at the executive level? It's a great question. Um, I'd say that probably the most powerful uh, industry in terms of like controlling its niche uh, and the industry where we gave Biden the lowest grade would be the military contractors, would be the, uh, the military industrial complex, like, you know, defense departments and so on. Um, like, you know, uh, Biden has really sort of kept, uh, going business as usual, as far as the foreign policy fronts on domestic issues, he has proven to be a little bit better than expected. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, like, you know, I think that like the problems with the military industrial complex obviously run a lot deeper than just purely the revolving door, but, uh, that is the, the industry which has the most control over its particular area. Um, you also have big tech uh, for being able to um, sort of sneak its people into like a lot of different parts of the executive branch. Most of the time, they're not in the top decision-making roles. They're again in sort of these advisory positions or like a few a few tiers down in the hierarchy and so on. Yeah. Um, and Wall Street has been surprisingly chastened so far, but you do have uh, BlackRock, one of the uh, the big asset managers, which isn't technically a bank itself, but it manages people's money. Uh, okay. They have a great deal of power as well, and, and they've managed to uh, get a fair number of their people into Biden's inner circle. Um, lastly, I just want to mention Steve Reschetti, who is uh, like the inner circle of the inner circle. He's one of the people who Biden talks to every day kind of thing. Uh, and his brother is quite literally a pharmaceutical lobbyist, as well as an Amazon lobbyist. Uh, don't see any way this could possibly play out in a bad way at all whatsoever. <laughs> so, 
You don't choose your family, though, Max. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But if you could, if they could work for Amazon, that'd be kind of tight because they're probably rich. (laughs) That's actually Um, the most ideal situation. It's the most ideal. I I wanted to ask because one thing that that your organization has been talking about is actually the Trumpers who are like, still in office like i think everyone remembers postmaster lewis DeJoy, mm-hmm. who i believe is still in office yes in his position are there other trumpers that you like want to name or point out and like why haven't hasn't there been turnover uh, why haven't they been removed uh so we actually have some pretty good news on that front uh just the last couple of days um uh, and I'm also going to take a little victory lap here. Uh, our group uh, um, had been advocating for changeover in, again, a little corner of the executive branch no one's ever heard of. It's called the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. Uh, okay. for, it, for some reason, it's pronounced peekaboo uh, when in D.C. I, I don't know why, but if you don't call it peekaboo, <laughs> then people think that you're out of the loop. Mm-hmm. Um Basically, these are the guys who make sure that you don't have another Enron scandal. The guys who uh, make sure that, like, you know, when big companies are doing their accounting, doing their taxes and so on, they aren't just straight up lying to the public about how much money they're earning and what their debts are. Mm -hmm. Um, Trump had, or technically Jay Clayton, who himself was appointed by Trump, um, just filled this uh, board with the most insidery of the insiders, people who had no experience in this field whatsoever, uh, people who are, again, just going to do whatever corporate America wants and are obviously and purely just in there to enrich themselves. Turns out that the Peekaboo board members actually earn more than the president's fun fact. Um, wow. Uh, but because we called a lot of attention to this and because we uh, started just like, you know, banging on pots and shouting and so on, uh, actually, Gary Gensler, who is definitely one of the better uh, appointees, he leads the SEC right now, uh, fired William Dunkey, who is the guy who uh, who runs the organization. He's mm-hmm. cleaning out that entire board. He's going to bring in a whole bunch of new people in order to try to actually get this part of the government to work a little bit better. Uh, I think it's a really illustrative example of what we do, because the thing is that uh, the bureaucracy is so complex. These appointees are in such weird little places, but mm-hmm. they're not used to public attention. They're not used to people calling them out, people exposing exactly what they do and people openly shaming them. Bureaucrats are not used to the limelight. Politicians are used to having people shout at them all the time. Bureaucrats are not used to that. Uh, so there's a real opportunity to fight and to get real wins uh, if you try to understand this stuff and if you try to fight for it. Don't you feel like that's something that Trump actually did where people were like, I know who the postmaster is, you know, like, I know who the deputy AG is. I know like, like that suddenly because he filled every position with lackeys, people were like, oh, oh, that's kind of important. And they were all just like villainous and so egregious Mm -hmm. when before they were more. Yeah. Again, status quo-y, Merrick Garland-y kind of careerists, you know, and they weren't so awful that now we're. Yeah, they're facing some scrutiny. Yeah, I think that also in a horrible way, Trump also highlighted how important those positions are. Uh, Because like the reason people suddenly knew who the postmaster general is or suddenly knew who the IRS commissioner is and so on is because (laughs) the most horrendous, awful shit kept on happening, uh, which was done by these people. And so there was it felt like there was nothing that you could do about it. Now, the thing is, the reverse is also true. There's a lot of really, really good shit that people can do in these positions if they just have the will to do it. And again, nothing is standing in the way of them doing it besides their own will. The classic example is uh, Biden can 
Biden could tomorrow cancel 95% of student debts. All it takes is a couple of signatures from the Secretary of Education. Um, like, you know, you can appoint trust busters. Yeah, that it, it's painful. It's extremely painful to hear that one. With how yeah. much money we make off weapons and he still won't cancel student debt. I mean, exactly. Exactly. With the fact that, like, you know, the like we just went into earlier in this episode, that, like, Mansion and Cinema have no interest in reforming the filibuster and, you know, the infrastructure mm -hmm. bill for the People Act and the American Families Plan are pretty much dead in the water as conceived. At least forgive student loan debt yeah. for the love of God. Exactly. Exactly. So, like, you know, if this is the horrible reality that we found ourselves in where, like, you know... Uh, for the sake of bipartisanship, you can't like you know kill the thing that destroys lawmaking happening. If this is the horrible situation that we're in, the absolute least that you can do is to use your executive powers like you know and use them maximally. Like Joe Biden isn't helpless; he's the president mm -hmm. of the United States. There's a lot of things that he can do. He just has mm -hmm. to order people to do them and have the will to actually do them. How do you guys conceive of like long-term ideal in an ideal world, like? Um, whether there could be ethics standards, there could be like, again, diversity of background standards when it comes to appointments uh, in, in terms of the executive branch. Like what is the, what are you guys pushing for? What do you want in an ideal, like, you know, when AOC runs in the future and she wins? Handily? Oh, that would be a beautiful day. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's complicated. There's a lot of answers to that question. Sure. Um, you know, I think first and foremost, in terms of just like playing defense against keeping bad people in, uh, you need to, first of all, very much broaden our understanding of what the revolving door is. Because for one thing, a lot of these revolving door people, have, as you mentioned, are lawyers. They uh, are very good at finding loopholes, right? So uh, for a long time, we have uh, had to fight over trying to say we're going to ban uh, corporate lobbyists from the White House. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden those guys say, okay, well then I won't technically register as a lobbyist anymore. I'll do like 95% of the work of a lobbyist. I'll be corrupting the system on behalf of corporations, but I won't technically register as a lobbyist. So now it's fine for me to go in. Right. right. Uh, so you have to, first of all, have a deep, have a better understanding of just how the influence industry works, how shadow lobbying, that's the technical term for that works. Um, just in terms of playing defense and keeping that kind of stuff out. Uh, in a bigger picture, um, I think, first of all, we would want just a much stronger civil service in the first place. We would want, um, you know, civil service jobs that are you know, good union jobs in the first place um, uh, uh, and have it be much more normalized to promote from within, promote people who have actually dedicated their lives to doing some sort of good through the work of government. Mm -hmm. um, and we would also want uh, for appointees, we want like fewer appointees overall. It's insane how many appointees we have in our system, but um, the appointees that we have, uh, it should be more normal and more just common for community leaders to become appointees. People who are, right. if you're a housing justice advocate, why can't you yeah. run HUD? Uh, if you're an environmental activist, why can't you run EPA? Um, right. If you're someone who has dedicated your life to, you know, understanding the laws behind this, but also just understanding and conceptualizing how this stuff works, you are better qualified for that, I would say, than, you know, some corporate lawyer or like, you know, some politician's cousin who they have to give a job to or something like that, you know. Yeah, we should. God, have I mean, we talk about I talk about nepotism in the media all the time, but like it ain't nothing compared to what it's like in DC or maybe it's worse in media. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're like, are you? We're oh, that's my boy. He was the CEO of this corporation that um, cuts down trees for fun. Mm-hmm. No, he should run the EPA. Yeah, no, and you're like, yeah, that's my boy. Exactly. <laughs> that doesn't make As sense. My bo- um, one one question I have is like. Could we instate a grace period after someone serves in government so that they can't actually immediately go into, let's say, being Amazon's PR and policy chief like James <laughs> Carney is? Um, our good buddy, Jay. Our, our good buddy, Jay. I know. I, I Why did I write James? I guess that's his real name. It's Jay. Um but so Jay was Jay Carney was obviously Obama's uh, press secretary for a long time, and he was back in the news because of Amazon's like horrible anti-union campaign, right? And and union busting. And I was like, oh, I know that name. What the fuck? Like, just what are people supposed to do when they leave? Like Jen Psaki was like, I'm gonna leave, but I'm probably gonna just dedicate my mm-hmm. time to my family. Like, why don't I buy that? Why do I feel like you're going to start working for Apple tomorrow? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's all like it goes the other way around and I know that's why you guys call it the revolving door, but it seems just as insidious given the amount of power that also corporations have in this country. Oh, of course, because also like, you know, Jay Carney got that job because he can call up Obama or he can call mm-hmm. up Biden or like, you know, they'll, they'll take his calls. That's the only reason that he has that job. Um, you know, so Actually, that Jay Carney is a great example, of not, not one that I ever thought of, but a great example of um, what I'm talking about as far as broadening our understanding of how the influence industry works. Because mm-hmm. technically, we do already have what are called cooling off periods, which is that if you're a political appointee, uh, you can't go lobby. I, I think it's for like two years or so on. Problem okay. is, something like the press secretary isn't in the cabinet. The cabinet is a very narrowly defined group. Uh, Got it. it something like the like you know um the press secretary or the i'm sure not the head of the nec would would have like a cooling off period like you know because again the executive bureaucracy is so complex and a lot of the Mm -hmm. times all these different groups form all these different um councils and so on form in part to get around rules like that in order to make up something new which like you know has its is where a lot of the the actual power is being wielded now but uh, doesn't technically apply to whatever the last set of rules around transparency and disclosure were, or the last set of rules around ethics were, and so right. on. So again, you have to take a step back and uh, you know think through in a broad sense, how does power work here? How does influence work here? Uh, and thus, what are we trying to curb? Huh. I, I have a, a, a pitch. What if, now this is going to be so out of control, you guys would be like, you're crazy. Uh, what if people who worked in these positions, these appointees, were only allowed to work in public sectors moving forward and couldn't work in any private sectors, thus kind of narrowing out the people who do want to move it like you know come on let's be real we all mm-hmm. kind of know what we're doing we, when mm-hmm. you get a job you know the influence and power that job can create right. for you and then you could pivot that into whatever mm-hmm. so what if we said you can't go into a private sector after you do this job as like a rule and Public then it's servant weeds, for life yeah exactly. it weeds out the people who have like these kind of plans to be like well i'll go do this then i'll go work at amazon and yeah. also you know what's a nice wild vibe? That's not wild at all. I think that's I think that's a great <laughs> idea. You know, what's also a nice byproduct of that is, you know, a bunch of in extraordinarily ambitious sociopaths who are the people who want to get these types of jobs. Yeah. All of a sudden they can't get rich in the private sector. The only thing they have access to is the public sector. 
all of a sudden you're never going to see the public sector winnowed out ever again because these people yeah, they will want never to, leave these people want yeah. to still have power right they want to still you're have right. money and so like you know i don't like the idea of trying to hack the fact that like you know these our large amount of our government is run by like you know power obsessed ambitious psychopaths mm -hmm. um but like you know uh, if you are someone who opposes neoliberalism, who opposes, uh, you know, government being hollowed and winnowed out in every possible way, well, like, you know, if government is what these people have, then yeah. government's probably going to still be pretty powerful. That sounds good yeah. to me. There should be like wow. a, like an off, like, um, like an, uh, off ramp, you know, like a, like an a easy little off ramp summer camp where you go and for lack of a better term, you get men in black flashy thinged and uh but you like get all your needs taken care of but you sort of like forget that you were ever in government or the corporate field <laughs> and then you know but you know look you've got a great like you get a stipend you mm -hmm. can live comfortably maybe you get a little piece of small piece of land <laughs> but you just like your just, drive and ambition just, we just yeah. cut that out of your brain you quite literally go to live on the farm upstate, you know? You just sort of like <laughs> yeah. quietly go off. Just just go off. It's for like rescued like animals from, you know, meat processing plants or whatever. Whatever John Stewart runs with his wife, <laughs> they, they should yeah. run that. But for like former lobbyists and also former um, executive branch staffers. Um, all right. We have one more segment to get to. Uh, Max, will you stick with us? Absolutely. Hell yeah. And... Anna, are you still here? Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so in honor of Cruella and Disney's giving her just a very, very fashion-forward origin story, um, I want to know, well, first of all, what do you guys think of Cruella? What do you guys think of all that? But also, what do we make of some of these villains in Congress in D.C. and their origin stories? Uh, this is, what are we calling this segment? This is... Uh, the origin stories. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I liked Cruella, but I will say I don't want them to do this to Ursula because as I tweeted, I want a bad bitch to be born bad. Sometimes a bad bitch is just bad and that's okay. Like Ursula's been bad. Don't take that from her. I don't need any sympathy for her. I already like her as a villain did you guys do you, you guys feel as strongly as i do about cruella <laughs> i mean i don't buy it because i think cruella is an unreliable narrator because if my parents were murdered by a dog i would not choose to i don't know where that dog or con continuously remind myself of that dog totally okay so, so i haven't seen it yet uh but if her backstory is literally she hates dogs because her parents were murdered by a dog, that is like the, like, I mean, it's just the silliest <laughs> Batmaniest. like, you know, I mean, I love Emma Stone, don't get me wrong, but that is, that's, okay. I'm sorry, that's just ridiculous. That's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> we all basically like, oh, what's the, what's it going to be? Like her parents were murdered by a dog. And then one of the first scenes is just like, arr, 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 and that's exactly what happened. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but it does, it is very good. It's long as hell, but it is good. It's fun. Uh, but I want to know, and I feel like Max, you know, the actual origin stories of some of these people. Um, 
But okay, here's here's my origin story for Joe Manchin, um, senator from West Virginia. I think he was bitten by a radioactive Senate parliamentarian, um, which made him loyal to the Jim Crow filibuster. <laughs> and he just, he can't get it up. I love process. You know, like that. He just turns into that. Um, I don't know. Any other ideas about Joe Manchin's origin story other than being a Halloween mask of uh, Sean Hannity, as I mentioned earlier? Um, I think that's actually to extend on that. I think he was potentially um, bit by one of those kids on Buck Wild, the MTV show that lasted for one season, because I don't know if you guys know this, but he's the reason it got canceled. Uh, (laughs) He didn't like that it was a bad look for West Virginia. So he called whatever his executive buddies at MTV and asked for them to get rid of the show. So, what? Yeah, it made West. You make West Virginia look bad. I know. I'm sorry. You're the only Democrat who can get elected there. You and you think West Virginia has is getting Mm -hmm. a bad look from an MTV Mm -hmm. show? Yeah. uh, So my origin story for him um, is going to tie into the thing that I personally. I have like a personal vendetta against him for. Uh, okay. So fun. So fun fact against Joe Man- about Joe Manchin: his daughter is the CEO of Mylan, which is the company that makes EpiPens. Uh, I have a food allergy, and I have to buy EpiPens every year. They are extremely expensive. Oh my uh, god! So I, my origin story is that he was he he isn't actually uh, her dad. He was actually like bioengineered inside of the Mylan laboratories, like just a few <laughs> years before he ran for Congress, like with like genetically implanted into his brain to just be the worst. That's it, just the worst. <laughs> my God. That is, then there you go, right there. We're like, I guess the donors, I guess, or I guess just your daughter who's like, we can't possibly, I mean, I don't even think lowering prescription drugs. I mean, how many, how many times have we heard that phrase? I have yet to see a Democrat make good or a Republican make good on that promise to lower prescription drugs. Um, But anyway, that is, that's sickening and very, and makes a lot of sense. Okay. Kirsten Cinema, Kirsten, Senator Kirsten Cinema. My origin story. <laughs> so I think when she was a, at a tender age of thirteen, wearing nothing but Claire's accessories and Hot Topic uh, outfits, she fell into a vat of Chanel Number no. Five, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then just emerged as a raging elitist. And she's the Dark Knight of the status quo. I accept that. I, Kristen Cinema is, I, in my opinion, like the worst of the worst of the girl boss pantsuit nation come to life. So for me, I, I imagine it all started at BYU, which I'm surprised she went to BYU, where I think <laughs> I genuine. Now this is what I genuinely think happened: is people okay. were not cool <laughs> with her potentially having some sort of or being a bisexual, and I think she in her most Michael Jordan way was like, and I took that personally. So I must destroy everyone in this country uh, with my terrible politics and lack of understanding what a filibuster is. Um, And then I'm just going to wear like cool glasses and rings and be like, I'm edgy, but I'm also slowly destroying you because that's what a good girl boss does. (laughs) Yeah, that, that would, it is pride month. So I'm like, man, we got to, fully embrace bisexuality and and pansexuality and everything just so we don't create another 
you know, Kirsten, Kirsten Cinema. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I stand yeah. by that. I, I like that origin story. Uh, Max, any ideas? Any ideas on what makes this person tick? I think she's purely driven by resentments about no one having any idea how to spell her name. <laughs> where does the R go? Where, is there a Y? Where? Is there an I? How do you, like, where do the pieces go? I don't know. Is it Kristen or Kirsten as Anna and I are like differing it's, on? I think it's Kirsten Gillibrand, but Kristen Cinema. but I might have that backwards. I don't know. That's very upsetting. And I think you're also right. Kristen Cinema, Kirsten huh. Gillibrand, also two different people. Yes. Mind blowing. <laughs> um, I just have another one, but I'm also curious what you guys have. But mine is Ron DeSantis, who once again, his star is rising. We're talking about Trump's star kind of falling. I feel like DeSantis is going to be a villain for a very long time and is not going to go anywhere and scares the hell out of me. But I think that um, he was born when his mother was on spring break in Cancun. And what had happened was uh, she swam too soon after eating uh, lunch. And you know what, you know what happens when you do that? You get cramps slash go into early labor. And Ron was born into a souvenir cup of a senior frog's margarita. And that is how he became who he is today. So I'm just saying, guys, don't don't swim right after you eat. Because you can birth a Ron DeSantis. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like that's just like common. That's just like common <laughs> knowledge a little bit. Um, uh, one person I was thinking of was Mitch McConnell who I know suffered from polio as a kid, which you would think would make someone like more empathetic to, you know, let's say struggles around healthcare uh, and access to yes, accessible pharma and meds. But Max, you know, the actual origin story of sadly, somehow, you know how Mitch McConnell became so disgusting. How does it go, man, Moran? You know how we never actually said anything when they're talking like this? It's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my goddamn life. It's a very it's good a impression, I gotta say. Solid oh, dude, I practice this in the mirror multiple times. Like, I, for my, my now fiance is like, please stop. Do not ever. No, 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 no. It like actively scares him, but I'm scared of that. So, my Moran explain what is my, what is my origin story? You gotta uh, throw in some turtles? Turtles? Turtle? Turtle? <laughs> uh,. <laughs> So unfortunately, the origin story for Mitch McConnell is not all that interesting. It's just that, again, he's a complete psychopath. Uh, there's a great short book by Alec McGillis, great ProPublica reporter, okay. um, called The Cynic, which is his attempt to answer this exact question, how did Mitch McConnell get to be this way? And <laughs> it's a short book because, again, the answer, unfortunately, is pretty straightforward, which is just that he's obsessed with power. Uh, when he was rising up in Kentucky politics, I believe he was like a uh, like a state official in the Republican Party, he was actually surprisingly moderate. He was um, uh, he had, he was actually had very strong votes on abortion rights. He was very very strongly pro choice at the time. Um, what he, do you know? Yeah, uh, he was pro union. He he got uh, endorsements from some unions. Um, and actually, of all things, he supported strong campaign finance rules. He supported uh, strong restrictions on campaign finance disclosure. Problem is, again, he's obsessed with power and obsessed with the with 
gaining more and more of it. And he realized that there's only so far that you can get in that, as well as uh, around this time, like, you know, Kentucky and the South are, are tilting hard to the right. And so he says, okay, forget all that. I'll just completely reinvent my entire ideology because that's what'll let me get further in politics. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how he became the Mitch McConnell that we know today. It's because he just looked at the political reality and decided actually, you know, being a sensible human being of some sort uh, wasn't going to get him far. And so he became who he is now. Wow. It's it's the same. I mean, it, again, I always hearken it back to the media because it's my only frame of reference of being like, oh, it could just be easy for you if you parrot Republican far right and racist talking points. I mean, you can't look, you have to take down all the mirrors in your house, but you just give the people what they you think they want, their mm -hmm. id, their awfulness, play into that, and you get a bunch of corporate money, and you don't have to do any intellectual like heavy lifting. Oh, this is fucking easy. Just do that, you know? Mm -hmm. Obviously, mm -hmm. then people have got morals and principles. Kirsten, Kristen Gillibrand, ugh, I don't even want to think about how to say her name. Um, she was like part of the Green Party early on, which is a whole digression. We can talk about the Green Party, <laughs> but like she really fell from grace. She really like. Yeah, she, she was like, an anti-Iraq war uh, activist. You know? That's right. That is exactly right. My God. Um, Max Moran, you're wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you and your work? Uh, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Uh, you can find us at therevolvingdoorproject.org. That's therevolvingdoorproject.org. And I am at Max Moran High on Twitter. Hell yeah. Everybody follow Max and also follow Re Revolving Door Project. Like I said, very good, very good Instagram presence. I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm very much feeling that, keeping us all in the loop. And, I'll pass uh, your compliments on to our intern. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Tell them that I need help. Um, all right, Max, take very good care. And Anna Hosnia, Hosnia, God damn it. God damn it. That's okay. Anna Hosnia, <laughs> um, how, how can people follow your work? Uh, I'm at Anna Hosnia on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me there to keep up with all my work. And yeah, you can check out my podcast, Ethnically Ambiguous, on the iHeartRadio network. And you can check us out every Tuesday night on Twitch on the show, Deckheads Chief stews that i host with molly lambert so check that out so fun so cool it, which is all about it's all about decks uh, <laughs> it's all about building decks no uh it's about below deck which is the bravo show and then also basically all of bravo universe we just watch a lot of tv and talk about it nice nice is this where they're like all drunk and we're like made to fight and stuff and they're like there was like some big scandal there was like some scandal on oh that was love boat that there was a big scandal on uh yeah no this is it's just people who work below deck on like fancy super yachts oh got it got it got it oh, okay so it's like downton abbey it's like the downton abbey of boats but yeah. like reality yeah and you oh. get to meet some very interesting rich characters who are all truly monsters <laughs> i love that uh anna thank you so much for joining take very good care of yourself and everybody thank you for being here we're back we back there's going to be some a few a few uh, hiccups in the next few weeks of uh, of our scheduling. I got to be out for Father's Day, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll be making it up to you. And hey, if you're not already a patron, become one today. Patreon.com slash Bituation Room. Support this show. Support our small but mighty team that works on this show. Um, support me learning how to read the things that I've written down for myself. Um, 
Uh, you can do that. Five bucks, 10 bucks gets you a shout out. 20 bucks gets you access to my AMAs, which are monthly. Please send me questions if you guys are a 20 buck or more uh, patron. I love those AMAs. They're super fun. Uh, I love your questions and I love answering them. So definitely send me them. And thanks so much to all of our Twitch subs during the show. Deb King T. Ty, uh, Pinkerbell Pixie, Willie Gus, Define Canadian, Daniel McConkie, The Walking Man One, Poe the Freaking Regan Dragon, and Electric Snow. I love to see these familiar faces in there. Uh, thank you guys once again for your super chats and for everybody who works on this show. Uh, to Becca Roofer, to Kelly Carey, Dorsey Shaw, and Ellie Hoffman in the comment section. Uh, we will be back next Sunday, same time, same place. Be there live, listen live, watch live, uh, 5, 8 Eastern on Twitch and YouTube. And remember, guys, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just be about it. Or don't just bitch about it. Some, one day I'll get this right. Fight, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Bye.